It's 4 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor and streaming online at WERU.org. And this is Maine Currents, independent local news, views and culture for Tuesday, September 5th, 2017. I'm Amy Brown. Bruce Gagnon is well known in Maine as the co-founder of the Global Network Against Weapons and Nuclear Power in Space and as an active member of Veterans for Peace. He's also a senior fellow at the Nuclear Policy Research Institute and a member of the Working Group for Peace and Demilitarization in Asia and the Pacific. In August, Bruce Gagnon spoke on Deer Isle at an event sponsored by Island Peace and Justice, Peninsula Peace and Justice, and Americans Who Tell the Truth. The topic was the, quote, pivot to the Asia-Pacific, end quote. Gagnon talked about the U.S. military presence in the region, U.S. relations with North Korea, South Korea, Japan, China, and Russia, and ties with Bath Ironworks here in Maine. This subject of the U.S. pivot, I think, is extremely important. Uh, it's the one of the two major uh, possibilities for global war, and we're talking nuclear war, and the end of essentially life on this planet. So I think we should know about it. Uh, we're paying for it, that's for sure. I want to first say something about what I plan to do. I plan to talk about uh, this pivot, uh, and then near the end of the talk, I want to offer a challenge because I think most people uh, often, you know, when a talk is finished, they say, well, what do we do? What do we do? Uh, and I remember a time, maybe 20, 25 years ago, in the environmental movement in the United States, there was a word that was very popular. It was called bioregion. Do you remember that? Work in your bioregion. Determine what's in your bioregion, where you live, and find the manifestation of an environmental problem in your bioregion and work it to try to solve that problem. And I would like us to begin to apply that word bioregion to this greater problem of U.S. endless war. And as I survey the state of Maine, what I see in, the, in our collective bioregion is Bath Ironworks, where they make destroyers, that are being sent to encircle the coast of both Russia and China today. And they also have an additional component where they're outfitted with so-called missile defense systems that are part of the whole U.S. Star Wars program. And so this makes these ships so important. And you're going to see that these ships now are bumping up the coast, uh, going to places like Jeju Island. So. In our own bioregion, I think we have a challenge. And my call, as you'll see at the end, is that we create a discussion in this state, a debate, a consciousness in this state, as citizen taxpayers, that we want this place to be converted or transformed uh, to build uh, rail and solar and wind to help us deal with our real problem that we have today, which is called climate change. And if we don't deal with that, I'm afraid that my son, who's 36 years old now, recently married, I don't know if they're going to have children, but if they do, I worry about the future possibilities for not only my son, but especially the generations that would come after him. So let's get started. Here we go. 
The pivot means that the United States is moving 60% of our military forces into the Asia Pacific. And as a result of that, more bases are needed to supply U.S. troops for barracks, more bases are needed for our warplanes, more airfields for them to land on, and more ports of call for our warships that are now being moved to the region. Now, we've been hearing a lot lately about North Korea launching uh, missiles and how that's a violation of international law. But isn't it interesting that the United States from Vandenberg Air Force Base in California routinely launches nuclear missiles, Minuteman nuclear missiles, sending them into the Pacific and to Kwajalein Atoll in the Marshall Islands where they hit targets there. It's okay that we do that uh, routinely. It's okay that we test uh, missile defense systems just recently from Kodiak Island, Alaska, a pristine bear and salmon fishing island, very famous for that. Um, now a uh, beautiful public park is being destroyed to build a launch area there for Israel to practice launching its missiles and for the United States to practice launching missile defense systems from Kodiak Island. Why isn't that illegal under international law? Why isn't it illegal uh, for any of the other nuclear powers to practice launching missiles, but it's only illegal for North Korea or Iran, who now admittedly doesn't even have any intercontinental ballistic missiles. The pivot is part of this entire process of the globalization of NATO. NATO, you know, was this post-World War II construct to, to protect Europe from an attack by the former Soviet Union. And there were these competing power blocks, NATO for the West, and the Soviet Union had the Warsaw Pact. Well, after the Soviet Union collapsed, the Warsaw Pact block disintegrated, but today, for some reason, NATO not only exists still, but it's expanding up to the Russian border, for example. After the fall of the Soviet Union, U.S. Secretary of State Jim Baker promised at that time uh, Premier uh, uh, Gorbachev that, that, uh, that NATO would not expand one inch, one centimeter towards the Russian borders. But in fact, under the Obama administration, a process was created to enlarge NATO, and today it's on steroids, bumping up to uh, uh, the Russian borders in Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, Romania, Bulgaria, all, all throughout the entire region, freaking Russia out, as you can imagine. And so, in addition, NATO has now decided to create partner relationships, as they call it, and they're now bringing Japan, South Korea, Taiwan, Singapore, Australia, and New Zealand into NATO, North Atlantic Treaty Organization, has now gone global with these partnerships. So the pivot is part of this larger manifestation of the, uh, of the growth uh, cancerous growth of NATO 
And it's being used to encircle not only Russia today then, but also China. So one of the places that the United States is moving and expanding is Guam. Here's a set of B-52s. B-1 and B-2 bombers are also stationed here. Missile defense systems and warships are now being ported in Guam. And I have friends that live there, and they're fighting to try to stop the United States from taking even larger areas in Guam. And other islands around Guam are now being used by the United States as bombing ranges, places with very, very uh, delicate uh, ecosystems that are now being bombed by the United States as they practice their war games in the region. And so uh, in Guam, there's uh, people that are organizing, trying to protect their sacred grounds, but they're being totally ignored and run over by this U.S. war machine. Australia, another place where the United States is moving, up in northern Australia, up in Darwin, at the very tip in the north, uh, barracks have been created for U.S. Marines that are being rotated in and out of there on a, on a uh, regular basis as the United States expands its military operations in that region. Uh, and also in central Australia, there's a place called Pine Gap. Pine Gap is a NSA listening post uh, where the United States is intercepting all phone, fax, and email communications from the entire Asia-Pacific region. And in real time, split-second time, this NSA listening post there in Pine Gap, Australia, way out in the middle of the bush, uh, they, they relay these signals back to Washington via satellites. And so the United States has set up what, the, what are called these downlink listening posts all over the world that give the United States the ability to see everything on the earth, hear everything on the earth, and target any place on the earth at any time. So Australia then is a key player in this whole thing. In addition, Japan is being heavily militarized. Uh, President Abe, Shinzo Abe, he's a right-wing uh, fanatic. His grandfather was a fascist in Tojo's Imperial uh, Army during World War II, and he reveres, uh, the current Prime Minister Abe reveres his grandfather, and he now has, uh, Abe has now gotten rid of Article, Article 9 in the Japanese Constitution that declared that uh, after World War II, uh, after Japan was defeated, Article 9 said we will never have an offensive military again. We will only have self-defense forces. Abe has now washed away Article 9 uh, against uh, tremendous opposition in the country. The, the public was totally opposed to Abe's government doing this, but they ignored the people, went forward with it. A couple years ago, the Global Network was invited to come to Kyoto Prefecture in Japan for our annual meeting. Every year we go to a different part of the world where there's a different manifestation of all of these things that are going on. And so we went to a village called Yukawa Village, a little fishing village, where the United States has set up a radar facility for these missile defense programs that the United States is now surrounding Russia and China with. The idea of missile defense is 
It's not about defense at all, actually. It's a key element in U.S. first strike attack planning. The idea is we're going to fire our missiles, try to take out Russian and Chinese underground nuclear missiles in a first strike attack. We try to hit them and take them out. And then if they have anything remaining, any remaining retaliatory capability, they try to fire it. And at that time, these so-called missile defense systems that are based on land and also based on these Aegis destroyers built at Bath Ironworks in here in Maine, uh, these missile defense systems would theoretically take out that retaliatory capability, giving the U.S. a quote-unquote successful first strike attack against Russia and China. And so that's the reason in the last three, four, or five years, Russia and China have been going to the United Nations saying, let's create a treaty to ban all weapons in space. Let's close the door to the barn before the horse gets out. U.S. and Israel have been blocking that treaty for all this time. And now uh, Russia and China have, have, have declared that we can't afford to reduce our nuclear weapons because of missile defense, which used to be outlawed under the ABM treaty, the anti-ballistic missile treaty that the United States had with Russia. But soon after George W. Bush became president, he pulled the United States out of the ABM treaty. Missile defense took off like a rocket. And then Obama, during his administration, he's accelerated dramatically the deployments all over the world. Now let's go to Korea. Jeju Island is just off the coast of mainland Korea, just south of the mainland. And it sits really in a very strategic place. China imports 80% of their oil to run their economy on ships through what they call the Yellow Sea. And the strategy is if the United States can choke off China's ability to import oil, then we hold the keys to their economic engine. And that we would literally be able to put a loaded gun to their head and dictate terms to them. So this is the strategy. And so uh, the uh, United States wanted this uh, a, a, a Navy base on Jeju Island so they could very rapidly uh, move warships into this zone because previously warships were coming from uh, other parts of Korea and then from Japan, but they're much farther away from this very strategic point near the Yellow Sea. And so a, a village in, in, uh, on Jeju Island called Kongjon Village was selected. And so these warships, these are the ships they make at Bath Ironworks, the Aegis destroyers outfitted with missile defense systems, they're now going to Jeju Island. The people early on, the first actually the first time I ever heard about Jeju, we were planning a protest at Bath Ironworks at one of the christenings, and I got an email from one of our board members, a Korean woman, who told me there's going to be a protest in Jeju Island the same day that you're going to this holding this christening protest. And I said, where's Jeju Island? And so ever since this time, uh, we've been working in conjunction with them as they have been fighting for the last 10 years to try to stop the construction of this Navy base that will port U.S. warships. Jeju Island is a UNESCO-recognized World Heritage Site. 
It's the place, the only place in the world where they still have what they call uh, coral forests, not coral reefs, but coral forests, where the coral is actually alive and moves like a living being. Uh, and now it's all being devastated because of the dredging and all the pollution that has come from the, the building of the Navy base. Kongjon Village is a 500-year-old fishing and farming community on Jeju, where the people have worshipped nature uh, throughout their time there. Their, their rocky coast they call Gurumbi, where they had sacred ceremonies, prayed to their relatives. And so they were trying to defend this coast against this Navy base. And the story is that the United States said to South Korea, you build the base. And under the, what they called the SOFA, S-O-F-A, Status of Forces Agreement that the United States has with Koreans, any Korean base the United States can use anytime they want in any manner they want. And so the United States strategy to save money is to get Korea to build it. And then the US Navy handed the specifications for the base. This is what we want, this is the size we want, these are the kind of ships we want to bring there, nuclear submarines, aircraft carriers, Aegis destroyers, build it for us. And so they're following their orders. And so the people, the first time I went there, this is one of the first things I, I saw was this cutout of an Aegis destroyer. And I was shocked. I thought, oh my God, you know, here I come from Bath, and we see this Aegis destroyer every time we drive over the bridge into Bath. And there it was on Jeju Island. And the people have been emphatic. This was 10 years ago. They've been emphatic. They don't want it. No. And so they've been in daily and nightly resistance against this Navy base for this past 10 years. This police have come from all over Korea. They didn't use police from Jeju Island. They sent police from all over the country to block the people. People would try to get into kayaks and go out into the ocean in order to get to Gurumbi, the sacred rocky coast, because it, it was blocked off with razor wire and other, other, uh, other uh, restrictions. They couldn't get to it anymore, so they tried to go in kayaks, and the police would not even allow people to go into their own fishing port and go out on kayaks out to the water. One of the most famous people there protesting on Jeju Island is a Catholic priest by the name of Father Moon. He's one of the, oh, just uh, great characters in, in South Korean uh, effort for democracy. You know, after the, after the war was over, World War II, and the United States defeated Japan, Japan had occupied Korea for many years, very brutally. And so the U.S. took over. And who did the U.S. put in charge of South Korea after the war was over? Well, they put the former collaborators, the former Koreans, the Koreans who collaborated with the Japanese fascists. They put them in charge. The U.S. did. And so they were brutal immediately towards the people. The U.S. directed, just on Jeju alone, a terrible slaughter of up to 30, 40, 50,000 people because these were just peasants revolting against these collaborators. Everybody said, oh, these, these people collaborated with the Japanese. We've got to stand in resistance against them. And the United States directed the slaughter of people on Jeju Island as they rose up and across the entire country. About 100,000 people were killed. Uh, 
because they stood up against these collaborators that the United States put in charge. So for many years, the United States, in, after that, installed a series of dictators. And so Father Moon was one of the leading characters to stand up against uh, these dictators through the years to try to bring demo real democracy to Korea. And so some years ago, he moved to Jeju Island, to Kongjong Village, where he lives to, the, uh, to this day and leads the daily Catholic Mass at the front gate of the base that is now open and receiving U.S. warships. You're listening to Maine Currents on WERU-FM. This is Bruce Gagnon speaking in Deer Isle in August. Our Veterans for Peace uh, nationally, we organized in 2015 a, a delegation to go to Jeju Island. We went there and sat with the people as they tried to block the gates, use this tremendous, uh, huge equipment coming in to build this Navy base. We stood with them uh, in, their, in their struggle. Uh, very heartbreaking experience for anybody that's been there. But you know, I often ask, these, I often ask uh, my fellow Americans, could you imagine going to a protest every single day and sometimes at night as well for 10 years. Can you imagine it? We do it once a week or once a month or once every couple months. We think we're really hot stuff, right? But imagine every single day. Can you even contemplate that? Here we are again. Yeah, go ahead. And so this was the arrival of the first Aegis destroyer after the base had officially opened. People went out in kayaks into the water. They stood on the shoreline with signs. What used to be a beautiful, sacred, rocky coast blasted with dynamite, concrete poured over it. So the United States will have a port for its warships made here in our bioregion. This was just this picture is a, a U.S. Aegis destroyer coming into Kongjong Village just weeks ago. And in there, you could see two little yellow kayaks out there with their yellow flags going out to protest the base. People were on the land as well, holding signs and banners. A Coast Guard cutter went out to uh, interfere with their, with their approach to the, to the warship. I keep telling friends in here in Maine, we have to keep going to Bath Ironworks because when they christen these ships, they bring in the crew and they march them down Washington Street in Bath and they go in, you know, to the ceremony, the christening ceremony. And then they stay in Bath for months and months as they learn about the ship. They live in local uh, motels and stuff like that and they learn how to work the ship, so they're around for a long time. I say, we've got to keep protesting in Bath because we have to get them re ready. We have to get these sailors used to seeing protesters because when they go to Japan, when they go to Korea, they're gonna see protesters, and we want them to understand what people are saying and why they're saying it. So we have an obligation in Bath, Maine to, make, to get these folks ready. This was from... Uh, the recent, 
We say no to the entry of the USS Dewey Aegis Destroyer to the Jeju Naval Base. Stop the South Korea, United States, Canada maritime military exercise. That particular warship was part of a war game. You know, we hear a lot these days about how are we going to get North Korea to stop launching missiles? Are we going to attack them, do a decapitation strike, a first strike attack on them, which people say will lead to, you know, Seoul is only, I think, 60 miles away from North Korea, be easily hit, just conventional artillery. Millions of people, they say, would be killed in Seoul if a war began that the United States initiated. And you know what North Korea is saying? You want us to stop? You want us to stop launching these missiles? You have to do one thing. Stop holding these war games on our borders that you do all the time. The United States, South Korea, other countries, Japan, Canada. After the, uh, after the Korean War armistice on July 27, 1953, armistice means ceasefire, right? There's no treaty. The Korean War is not over. There's a ceasefire. And the United States continues day after day after day to do military war games on the North Korean border. And North Korea is saying to themselves, okay, we've seen Panama, we've seen Grenada, we've seen Yugoslavia, we've seen Iraq and Afghanistan, we've seen Syria. We don't know if today this war game is it a war game or is it a decapitation strike? We don't know. And so North Korea says, you want us to stop launching missiles? Stop your war games and we got a deal. Sign a peace treaty with us, we got a deal. That's all they're asking. And the United States continues to refuse to do that. The other warship now made at Bath Ironworks is the Zumwalt stealth destroyer. Stealthy destroyer that they say would be able to sneak up on China and blast them with new weapon system called electromagnetic rail guns that can fire a shell the, dif the distance between Philadelphia and New York City. Part of US first strike attack planning. Father Moon, the Catholic priest, makes all kinds of wood carvings and made, has made this one about no zoom wall. And so our uh, recent arrest, the zoom wall 12 in Bath was protesting that christening of one of those ships, this one right here. The DDG 1000, they call it. And so the people in Jeju, they get it. They understand what missile defense means. They understand that it's not about defense. They understand that it's part of U.S. first strike attack planning. They're organizing. They're continually protesting. Ten years later, they're still out there every single day. The port really devastated the entire community so badly. They, they've been very depressed. And they talk very openly about the, the there's 2,000 citizens of Kangjong Village. And they talk very openly about feeling suicidal because they feel like there's no hope. They continue to protest, but they just can't stomach all the lies that they hear coming from the United States. 
that we're bringing peace, we're bringing democracy, we're here to protect you. You know, all these kind of lies that, that uh, come out of Washington. And they're just really had, fed up with it. So one way they've been able to kind of survive emotionally is to create art. And there's art all over Kongjong Village. And they've been uh, one of the most creative uh, protest movements I've ever seen in their use of art. They dance and sing every day at every protest. And they're very joyful in the midst of their depression and, and great, great sadness. Also now, going into Korea, in another part of Korea, is this U.S. missile defense system called THAAD, T-H-A-A-D, THAAD. It stands for Terminal High Altitude Area Defense. So there are different kinds of missile defense systems, some ground-based launchers, some on ships. And the idea is to be able to try to hit the other side's missile at various stages of flight. And so this one, the idea is to hit it high altitude. And so the United States has brought um, this THAAD now to Songju in Korea. Songju, it's very interesting. They were traditionally a right-wing community. In the last election, uh, no, the previous election, when the right-wing President Park, a woman uh, president, was elected, the daughter of the former dictator that the U.S. installed many years ago after World War II. When she won the election, this Songju community voted 85% in favor of the right-wing government. But when it was announced that uh, Thad was going to go into Songju, probably because they figured that it would be safe because this is such a right-wing community, we could get away with it, the community had a funeral procession where they en masse resigned from the ruling party. And they immediately joined the peace movement. And it became the top peace issue in all of Korea. So I like to say to people, you know, don't ever completely rule out uh, the, the people on the right wing. Because it only takes one circumstance that they might be willing to swing around our side and come together with us. And I must say, the Korean peace community was very wise that they didn't say, oh, well, you're just a bunch of right-wingers. Where you been all these years? Now you're, you know, you want to come and you want us to help you? No, they embraced them in the most loving way and began to help organize massive protests all over Korea. And so the people in Songju have created a, a huge movement it made it very difficult for the United States to come forward with, uh, with uh, this THAAD missile. Not only would they protest all day long, but also every night for the last more than about a year and a half now, every single night, they've held a candlelight vigil where they come together, sing, dance together. But then President Park was impeached because of corruption. They called it the candlelight uh, revolution. A million and a half, two million people marching through Seoul week after week after week forced the government to be toppled. And a new president was just elected, a liberal Democrat by the name of Moon. And he came into office saying, we're gonna delay this 
deployment of THAAD. But the United States wasn't about to be denied. And so the United States pushed ahead with the THAAD deployment. In fact, even in the middle of the night, the United States brought in these THAAD, they're called batteries, uh, on trucks, these launchers that would launch these THAAD missiles, along with a radar, the THAAD radar, whose job ostensibly is to look for the incoming missiles, in fact, it has the ability to scan 2,000 kilometers into both Russia and China, which are very near Korea, as you know. And so the people of Korea are very clear that THAAD is really not about North Korea whatsoever. Remember, the THAAD stands for Terminal High Altitude Area Defense. And so the truth of the according to Ted Postal, an MIT professor and expert on missile defense in Cambridge, Mass., he says that because of the proximity of North Korea and South Korea, North Korea would launch missiles at a low level, not at a high level. And so they, that would never be able to pick off any missile coming from North Korea because it would not go to a high altitude. It would stay on a lower trajectory. And so in fact, Postal says, as many other people do as well, that that is really about Russia and China. Now let's go to Okinawa. Okinawa has, uh, what is it, 22 bases today? 22 U.S. bases. It's amazing to go there and to drive from one end of Okinawa to the other because what you see is base after base after base after base. Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marine. Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marine. It's just amazing. And this it's been this way since the end of World War II. The United States has had these bases there, and now they're expanding even more. They need more areas for training. They need bigger runways. And now one of the great, great uh, sadnesses is it, uh, oh, the, uh, this is one of the training areas in the north, a famous uh, forest that is be, uh, being devastated so the United States can bring in Osprey helicopters and practice touchdown troop unloading, fighting in the, in the forest and all that kind of thing. So our Veterans for Peace, after going to uh, Jeju Island, we went to Okinawa for a week and we, we went up to the forest there as well. These are the osprey that will be going to uh, into that uh, forest area for these maneuvers. But this is one of the great tragedies of all. There's a bay in Okinawa called Ora Bay, and the United States is now building, well, I, I, I should correct myself, the United States has told the Japanese government to build twin runways over Ora Bay. And in order to do that, they have to bring in landfill into the bay itself where endangered coral reefs are, where endangered dugongs, it's a relative of the manatee, there are only three or four dugongs left, they, they live in this bay. And so I think the number is I, I believe it's three and a half million ten-ton dump truck loads of landfill have to be dumped. Can you imagine that? Three and a half million 
10-ton dump truck loads of landfill have to be dumped there. And so the entire fishing community devastated. The entire way of life of the people of Okinawa around this bay devastated. And so they, they have now been protesting outside of the gate of the U.S. bases against this. So we went there, our Veterans for Peace uh, group, we went there and sat with them one early one morning while it was still dark. And what we discovered when we arrived was they were mostly old people. And in fact, mostly old women. And they go out and they sit in front of the construction gate and the Japanese police come in and drag them off and then they go back again, and this goes on day after day after day after day after day. Because they know they're fighting for their children's future. They're fighting for their sacred connection to nature. As far as they're concerned, they have no choice other than to do this. So it was a, an amazing experience for us to join with them, blocking the front gate of this marine base called Camp Schwab, where that sits right on the bay and where this airfield is now being built. It's really one of the great tragedies, one of the greatest tragedies I've ever seen. And they're still there today, fighting away. And while we were there, they took us out on boats and we discovered that the Japanese government has essentially roped off the entire area where they're going to do this, build this, uh, of course they have to dredge the areas, which of course stirs up all kinds of pollution, it will, it will decimate the uh, coral, and the, uh, will kill the fish in the water, and then they have all these Japanese military out there on rafts or, or uh, boats trying to block the protesters who come out in, in kayaks and boats to try to stand in, uh, to, to oppose all of this construction going on there. The governor, a newly elected governor a few years ago, on the, on the platform of opposition to this U.S. expansion in Okinawa, uh, has been vilified by the United States government. They've tried to do everything to smash him, everything to destroy him, to denigrate him. But the people, uh, by the tens of thousands, come out for huge rallies repeatedly in support of the governor and the mayors of the major cities on Okinawa who are fighting against all of this madness. This is Maine-based peace activist Bruce Gagnon speaking in Deer Isle in August about what has been called the U.S. pivot to the Asia-Pacific and ties to Bath Ironworks. You're listening to Maine Currents on WERU-FM. So what do we do when we come home? Oftentimes when we go to these places, people say to us, what are you going to do when you go home? Are you just a tourist here? You just come here to enjoy us? What are you going to do when you go home? So imagine how you answer that kind of question to someone. Well, one of the first things I want to do when I come home is dispel the myths, okay? I want to dispel the myths about China and Russia that the United States corporate media has perpetrated. And one thing we hear 
is that China and Russia want to take over the world, right? They want to militarily take over the world. And so there's an organization in Stockholm, Sweden called CIPRI. It stands for Stockholm International Peace Research Institute. And every year they look at global military spending levels for the world. And so in 2016, the United States spent 36% of the world's total in military spending. And when you add in the NATO allies and partners, right, and you can go down the list and look at various ones of them. Saudi Arabia is an ally and partner. England, Japan, Germany, Korea, Italy, Australia, Israel, UAE. I mean, when you add them all up, it's well over, well over 60%. The US, NATO, allies and partners, 60% of the world total in military spending. Pretty dominant, I would suggest. And then we look at China, 13%. And Russia, that the United States is demonizing left and right every day of the week, saying they want to invade, reinvade Eastern Europe, take over Eastern Europe, reestablish the former Soviet Union, with 4% of the world's total in military spending, Russia is going to invade Europe when the United States and NATO are at 60%? It's numerically impossible. It's absolutely impossible. And you should know that in the last two years, 2015, and, excuse me, 2016, and this year, 2017, Russia has cut their military budget. Cut it, not increased it, like we're doing, 54 billion this year, but cut it. So here in our community in, in Bath, you can see this article, all the way back to 2006, must convert the military industrial complex. We've been running a campaign for the last 10 years in Bath, talking to the community about the need to convert Bath Ironworks, to build rail and solar and wind turbines and tidal power systems so that we can deal with climate change rather than wasting our money, just throwing it down the rat hole on endless war. And it's very interesting to know that University of Massachusetts at Amherst Economics Department did a study that says if at Bath Ironworks we built rail systems rather than warships, we would get double the jobs. Because military spending is capital intensive, means it eats up a lot of money. Whereas every other kind of production, every other kind of expenditure creates more jobs than we would get building weapons. So you think everybody's job scared these days. All the politicians promise, oh, they're going to create jobs. Well, if they really wanted to create jobs, we would convert the military industrial complex. But the politicians aren't listening. So we're trying to take this message out to the people saying, let's think about the children, let's think about the future generations, and let's talk about how we're gonna really make this a livable, sustainable planet. And the only way to do that is to convert the war machine, convert the military production system. And so in Bath, you know, we have the largest 4th of July parade every year. And so for many years, we've gone into the parade with all kinds of different uh, uh, signs and banners and, and puppets and all kinds of things 
to take this message of converting the war economy, getting good jobs for a peaceful future. And it's amazing that we've had, at times, a decent response from people as we do this. And we've also, here's, here's this famous agitator, Mr. Dud Hendrick again. As Dud said, we've also gone to Bath Ironworks during christenings and done civil disobedience. This particular picture is from the Zumwalt 12 protests we did at Bath Ironworks a couple of, uh, last year. This picture is from our recent April 1st in the snowstorm. And artist Natasha Mayer is one of the great artists in Maine. She made this huge footprint. Because we know that the Pentagon has the largest carbon boot print on the planet. The Pentagon, the US military, is the biggest polluter on the entire planet. So when we talk about dealing with you know, climate change, if you don't deal with the military, you're whistling Dixie. And so Natasha made this huge uh, thing that says BIW could build public transit, wind turbines, solar panels instead of destroyers, and it creates more jobs than making weapons. Well, that's a great artist, activist at work. So our group, the Aegis Nine, we're calling ourselves, uh, we uh, are scheduled to go to trial in Bath in September. Uh, Doug mentions uh, the last five years we've done peace walks in, through different parts of Maine. We've uh, started in Rangeley and gone down to Berwick. We've started last year in Indian Island and, and went down to uh, Kittery. We've started all the way up in uh, Limestone at uh, one time. And uh, so we've really tried each year to go uh, through a different part of the state. And as we walk, we hand flyers to people, we communicate with people, we have potluck suppers in churches, in communities as we go along. And we've really seen a lot of people. If you really want to see the American people, the way to do it is to walk, because they're all in cars. Everybody has a car, and they're all driving by, and they're going to see you. And so it's a really great way to bring a message to the people. And so we decided this year for our walk in October, we're going to walk in Bath. We're going to stay in Bath for five days. In the morning, we're going to hold a vigil as the workers come to work. And then during the daytime, we're going to go door to door to every house and business in the city of Bath, dropping flyers, talking about the conversion of Bath Ironworks climate change, more jobs by building solar, wind, rail, etc. And so, uh, and then in the afternoon, we're going to go back as the workers knock off for another vigil at the end of the day. We'll have evening programs with speakers. We're going to show films about the places like Jeju Island where these warships made in Bath are going. And so we're going to have a concentrated week of activity in Bath. So we invite you all to come for a day, for an hour, for the entire time with us. We'll be there for eight days doing this in October uh, this year in Bath. Last year, our walk came through Brunswick. and We had a program at the uh, Unitarian Church in Brunswick 
we had a potluck supper and then a program where we talked about the Thad and the Aegis Destroyer in Korea. And we had uh, uh, Buddhist monks and nuns led our walk. Japanese uh, Buddhist monks and nuns from an order called Nipponzen Miyahoji. They've led all of our walks that we've done. Very spiritual experiences for all of us. This year, one of the, we asked a Jeju Island organizer, friends of ours, to send us one of your activists to join our walk because we want someone from Jeju to be present in our community while we're there. And so they let us know that they're sending a, a really brilliant musician, activist, very creative guy, uh, one of the founders of a group there called the Hot, what is it? Hot Pink Dolphins, uh, Russell, Russell's favorite group. And uh, they wear dolphin outfits and all this kind of thing. So a uh, guy by the name of Joyak Gold. So he's coming and he's going to be with us for the entire week. We're very excited to have him with us. Uh, we're also going to be showing a film that we've just recently learned about. We're going to probably show it at the Bath Library and invite the community to come. It's called Village versus Empire. And it's created by a South African filmmaker. He went to Jeju Island and he brought this woman who's actually originally from Jeju, but she's now living in Oakland, California. And she's a, a uh, what's the word? She's a mystic, spiritual, mystical person that communicates with nature and interprets nature through dance and other performance. And so the art filmmaker very beautifully used her to tell the story of Jeju Island. And she goes with him to Jeju and they interview Korean poets and artists and musicians. So the entire film is an art film about this very political subject of Jeju Island. It's an unbelievable film. And it's not yet uh, being distributed anywhere in the world. Uh, the guys, the, the filmmaker is trying to create a, uh, you know, he's trying to work a deal to, you know, make some money off his film. But he's letting us show it uh, uh, in Bath during this uh, upcoming event because he knows of our long mutual relationship with uh, Kongjong Village on Jeju Island. So. It's real exciting for us to, to be doing, to be, to be able to show that. Uh, Russell, uh, Russell, raise your hand there, will you please? Uh, Russell Ray, a great artist uh, from Hancock, made this banner and dolphin uh, for one of our recent walks. The theme of it was to demilitarize our oceans. And this was the van that we had following along the walk all along the state. And so, you can imagine it attracted a lot of attention uh, everywhere we went. And so this year, uh, right now, in fact, Russell's working on a new design for the banner. We'll have Maka the Dolphin that he actually made years ago when he did a walk all the way across the country with Greenpeace. He dragged Maka all the way across America uh, on that walk. So Maka, has, he has a very special, special relationship with Maka. So Maka will make a return engagement and be in Bath for eight days this October. Well, let me just end uh, with this. Every year, the global network that I work for, 
global network against weapons and nuclear power in space. Our website is spaceforpeace.org. Spaceforpeace.org. Every year we have a thing called Keep Space for Peace Week, where we ask activists all over the world during this week to hold some kind of activity making the link to these space issues to help educate the local community. And so this, and every year we have a different theme. And so this year our theme is no THAAD in Songju, no missile defense in Korea. Because we see this particular issue as one of the primary uh, instigators of the possibility of nuclear war on the earth today. So we ask you, as you're doing your weekly protest uh, in October during the week of 7th through the 14th, think about making this connection, if you would, to Songju. Maybe some signs uh, making this connection. No, miss no missile defense in Songju. Missile defense is a key element in U.S. first strike attack planning, things like that. Let me just tell you this story. Every year, the U.S. Space Command holds a computer war game called Red Team versus Blue Team. And in this computer war game, the United States launches a first strike attack on Russia and China. So they're actually practicing this, and they've been doing this for about 10 years. I read about it in one of the industry magazines called Aviation Week and Space Technology. And so in this war game, after the U.S. launches their first strike attack trying to take out Russian and Chinese underground nuclear missiles, trying to take out Russian and Chinese submarines that have nuclear uh, missiles on them. They then try to fire their retaliatory capability, and it's at that point that the United States so-called missile defense systems again are used to try to pick them off to give the U.S. a successful first strike attack. So missile defense then is indeed provocative destabilizing, dangerous, and that's why the U.S. pulled out of the ABM Treaty, the Anti-Ballistic Missile Treaty, with, the, with Russia, because that treaty disallowed, disallowed the development of missile defense systems. And so this year, we want to really emphasize this during Keep Space for Peace Week. Also, I want to encourage you all to hold a discussion within your peace groups locally about forming an affinity group from this area, from this uh, 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 Blue Hill, Greater Blue Hill uh, Peninsula area. And so the next time there's a christening at Bath Ironworks, I hope that you all will send an affinity group from your community to come down and stand in the middle of the road or sit in the middle of the road in opposition to this christening of this warship that will be sent to the Asia Pacific as part of this pivot. Risking arrest, I ask you to please consider that. We're asking people all over the state to begin to think about that and bring the message to your community that you're going Inform your community that you're going to do this, and then you go and do it, and then you come back and you share with your community why you did it and everything else. And urge, create a discussion within, within this community about what is happening at Bath Ironworks and the, 
and the international implications of the warships that are built in our bioregion today. Thank you all very much. That was well-known Maine peace activist Bruce Gagnon speaking in Deer Isle in early August at an event sponsored by Island Peace and Justice, Peninsula Peace and Justice, and Americans Who Tell the Truth. It was recorded by Carolyn Coe. An excerpt from this talk aired here on Maine Currents in mid-August. In the interim, tensions between the U.S. and North Korea escalated, so we asked Bruce Gagnon for a reaction to the news. His response reads in part, quote, the U.S. to this day refuses to sign a peace treaty with North Korea. Thus, the war legally continues. On July 27, 1953, the U.S. signed an armistice, ceasefire, with North Korea, but that is it. Thus, the continuous U.S.-South Korean war games right along the North Korean border must make Pyongyang wonder, is this the real thing? Did the Pentagon decide to invade us for real this time, like they've done in Vietnam, Yugoslavia, Grenada, Panama, Iraq, Afghanistan, Libya, Syria, and Yemen? Embedded deep beneath North Korea's mountainous zones are some 200 varieties of minerals, including gold, iron, copper, zinc, magnesite, limestone, tungsten, and graphite. Some of these stockpiles are among the largest in the world, and North Korea, a tiny and cash-strapped nation, frequently uses them to bring in additional revenue, no matter the laws against doing so. The total value of these minerals lies somewhere between 6 and $10 trillion. How much of this war hype could be a plan to grab their resources? In the end, I think it's important to say that North Korea is really a foil. The U.S. does not fear North Korea, which has only four nuclear warheads, while the U.S. has 6,800 of them. Clearly, the demonization and scare campaign around North Korea is intended to justify the U.S. military quote-unquote pivot of 60% of Pentagon forces into the Asia-Pacific to be aimed at China and Russia, the real prizes that Washington has on the regime change list, end quote. The sixth main peace walk, this one's called the main peace walk for conversion, community and climate that you heard Bruce Gagnon mention in the talk today, is going to be held from October 13th to the 21st. You can get more information about that at uh, by emailing globalnet at mindspring.com or at Bruce Gagnon's website, Space for Peace, that's space, the number four, peace, dot blogspot.com. Again, space for peace dot blogspot.com. And if you're wondering about Jeju Island and how that's spelled, if you'd like to look that up for more information, that's J E J U. You've been listening to Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture. I'm Amy Brown. Carolyn Coe recorded the audio you heard today. Catch us here every Tuesday afternoon at 4 o'clock. Democracy Now! is coming up next, followed by Jazz Alchemy and a Southern Wind here on your community radio station, WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from Merrill's Bookshop, 130.